0: Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. Today I'm very excited to bring you the executive chef at Via Farina. His name is John Ray. He is a master at making two of my favorite things on this planet: pizza and pasta. So who better to have in?
1: John, welcome to the show. Thank you for so much for having me.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I'm gonna start as I do most episodes, just in case someone has not been into Via Farina or they're not. Familiar with the restaurant, I want to kind of lay out the red carpet and give you a chance to describe Via Farina to someone who hasn't visited before. Maybe sure. tempt them to to get them to to get them interested.
1: Sure, sure. So what we do is uh, wood fired pizza uh, and uh, fresh in house pasta. That's kind of most of our menu. Uh, we kind of have a blend of, you know, a nod to traditional Italian as well as some of the. You know, being able to use the local ingredients and just kinda of have fun and kind of go off the cuff a little bit. Uh keep things exciting. Try not to be too stuck in a, a box. Mm-hmm. Uh we try we try to be as respectful to you know the Italian craft as we possibly can. But sometimes we just have a little fun with some other stuff as well.
0: Now what do you mean by off the cuff and have a little
1: fun? Um like the smoked bolognese, for example. Which is delicious. Uh, you know, we don't it's not something you see a, a lot of. Uh, A lot of people have a bolognese that they kind of stick with. You know, it's kind of time-tested. We just kind of tried that, and it it went over well, so we keep it on. Um, You know, putting butternut squash down as a a sauce base on a pizza now with some kale and burrata. Not something you would traditionally see, but just, you know, kind of having fun with the the seasonal bounty.
0: I think that that's something really important that restaurants do is that they respect the tradition. You respect the original product, but you also – You play with it a little bit in ways to enhance it and not in ways that are, you know, kind of gimmicky or, you know, you're just using molecular gastronomy just to do it. But you're actually playing with flavor profiles and kind of updating a classic,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, a lot of it starts with what flavors uh, and what senses kind of make sense all together. And then you can manipulate that a million different ways, you know, just whatever is going to be fun and exciting for people to eat, you know, having the butternut squash as a a sauce base on the pizza versus, you know, roasted butternut squash on the pizza. We've done that before it went over well, and we just decided to try something new. And we're certainly not the first people that ever put, you know, winter squash on a pizza, but it's just one of the, you know, fun, new seasonal items that we just put on.
0: Right. Now, the thing that I love about Via Frina, one of the many things that I love is the grand centerpiece, I feel like both visually and kind of to the cornerstone of the restaurant, is that giant wood-burning oven. It's just this, this giant orange oven that you it's see. Pretty. It's the first thing that you see when you walk in the restaurant. You know, you, I just, when I'm sitting there waiting for my food, I just find myself looking at it because it's just so mesmerizing. Why was it so important for that to be like the cornerstone of the cuisine that you put out?
1: So I wasn't there for the opening of the restaurant. I've been there for the last three years, mm-hmm. but I, I wasn't a part of building that out. But that was certainly one of the things that attracted me to go into work there. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have a ton of Italian experience at that time. And I had never worked with a wood-burning oven. But, but I love eating food out of wood-burning ovens. Yeah. And I always have. So uh, when I got the opportunity, it, it was easy to go into a place like that that has that as a centerpiece, like you were saying.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, that's something that's really interesting and I want to get your perspective on this because I had Nick Strawhecker from Dante on sure. a couple of weeks ago they obviously feature uh the wood burning ovens and he said it, it, it takes some time to adjust to because there are you know depending on you know what wood you use it can get hotter or cooler you really have to figure out how to even turn the oven on like if you put something in a different par- part of the oven it will sure. take longer to cook versus being in the middle it might cook faster like how long did it take for you to kind of get that song and dance down at the oven to where you felt comfortable with it
1: it takes a while in fact i i I can comfortably say i'm still learning yeah (laughs) Um, you know when when we have somebody new come on there's always this interesting intro into the restaurant where you might have somebody who looks at it and goes it's just pizza Mm -hmm. but it's certainly not just pizza you know you can say that to calm somebody down if they're starting to get stressed out but it's also at the end of the day, it's not just pizza, you know? Uh, And I listened to, to Nick's and he's right on so many of those points. You know, there's so much work that goes into it, you know, just from starting that dough three days, four days before you're using it. Mm -hmm. um, By the time you get to the oven, like we kind of, we kind of teach the pizza side in three different phases, Mm -hmm. learning how to work with the dough. First of all, even if you can't top the pizzas correctly or run the oven, if you can stretch dough properly, we can at least utilize your efforts online that night. Mm -hmm. From then, it's kind of getting familiar with what goes on each pizza. And it's a relatively small menu, so that becomes kind of the easiest part of it. And then the next part is learning the oven. And what I like to tell people is right out of the gate, it's going to be a very intimidating process. Even if you've worked with campfires and whatever your entire life, learning how to cook in a wood-burning oven is just a whole other ballgame. Our wood changes, we don't use a specific type of wood. We've got a, a wood guy, Roger, that just kind of takes care of us. So it could be oak, ash, mulberry, walnut. And all these woods burn at different temperatures for different lengths of time. So about a weekend or so, you'll start thinking like, oh, I finally got it. Mm-hmm. And then in about a month, you'll be like, I didn't know shit. <laughs> I, I didn't know anything. I don't know anything about this oven. And then about a month later, you're going to be like, okay, I finally got it. And then in six months, you're going to think the same exact thing. And be like, I didn't know anything. And I still don't. And it, it's, I think that humbling part of it helps you kind of get rid of this idea that like, I'm done learning it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's kind of like a relationship, you know, it's, you kind of, you know, kind of tiptoe in a little bit and make sure that, it, you know, you can get the right feel on everything. And then after that, it's just developing that relationship and it doesn't stop.
0: I love that you call it a relationship. I think that that's so cool because it is ever changing. It is certainly. So what was the beginning of that relationship like for you? I mean, as you're first learning about this oven and you're experimenting with it for the first time, was it fun or was it just like really frustrating because there are so many different components to it? Kind of like, what was your experience?
1: So it was kind of all the above. Like, There was the excitement of going into a new workplace, um, but then we had stress. It was like we had turned over the entire staff, basically. Mm-hmm. Like when I walked in, we had, I think, two guys that had been there from the previous staff. Um, so we had, we were playing major, major catch up. We had, you know, a kitchen staff full of people that had, had you know, little or no experience making bread, making dough, working with a wood-fired oven, using a pasta extruder, uh, rolling out fresh pasta, whatever it might be. So you're trying, I, myself, I'm trying to play catch up as well but still have the structure to like show everybody else how to do these things. So it was like this cycle of, you know, reaching out to people that I knew that maybe had more experience than I did on stuff and asking a ton of questions or starting to build my staff with people that, that were coming in with more experience in some certain areas and watching videos and reading books. And it just, it was both, it was exciting and stressful at the same time.
0: hmm I definitely want to get more into that education experience and kind of what drew you to Via Frina in a little bit. We're going to, we're going to touch on your career. We're going to have some fun, but I want to focus a little bit more on the cuisine. This is a food podcast after all. So in your eyes, what is it about that wood-fired oven that really makes the best Neapolitan style pizza?
1: Oh man, there's so many aspects to it. It's... That char on the the crust, mm, the um, yes, it, it's you can't match that in any other style of oven. No, um, it's that that crust that sets up just perfect on the bottom. Um, so it's that it's not a super crispy, but it's not soggy. Um, it's that mozzarella al forno that just kind of seems to bake like right at the right temperature with that with that flame going. Mm-hmm. There, there's just all those encompasses, and then you eat it and it's just like that there's the payoff
0: the thing that amazed me and i i'll fully admit i didn't get it the first time i came into via Frina, i actually was kind of i didn't really understand the pizza because it's so it's kind of thin and floppy isn't the right word but it's a lot more malleable towards the center of the pie sure. and then on the outer it's got a lot of structure it's got a lot of bite to it and i didn't totally get that now it's something i really appreciate because it's kind of got that you know it's almost like a you know, a really hearty breadstick almost when you get to the end of it sure. where in the middle it's kind of almost not a New York style slice, but it's kind of foldable like that. Is that something that draws you to that style? Just that kind of differing experience, I guess, as you're eating just one food item?
1: Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a, a cheater way of getting a an antipasta and a pizza at the same yeah, time. You know, we exactly. do... Exactly we do a, a sourdough bread program. So our, our dough is all made with our sourdough starter that we've had going for a few years. So as opposed to, you know, a, just a dry yeast dough or something like that, there's more character. There's more flavor in that dough. Um, so you you, know, you see somebody toss the crust back when that, when that peel comes back, and you're just like, oh, they missed out on such a good part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, with that sourdough, we, we raised our hydration level again, so now you get this like super pretty risen crust around it. It does have a little bit of a chew to it, but hopefully not so much that, you know, your jaw hurts by the end of eating right. it. But it but but it's substantial enough that, you know, it's not just, you know, toss it to the side type of crust.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely not. And I think for people to fully understand that, I want to talk about a little bit about the process that goes into it. You sure. mentioned it's three days of kneading this dough, of rolling it out, of just constantly you know, massaging it to get it to this point. What is like in, in that three day process, what is it from start to finish? Like how much effort goes into getting it from that, the first part of the three days until it is hitting the oven?
1: Yeah. So, so we do, like I said, a sourdough starter. Um, so, so we we, you know, rejuvenate that starter every single day, feeding it, um, And then when we make our dough, it gets about a four-hour, like, firm uh, or fermentation process. Mm -hmm. And then it sits in the cooler overnight. Then the next day is when we'll ball it. And then it sits in the the cooler overnight again to kind of relax a little bit. And then it's on day three and sometimes even day four that it's, like, at its most optimal point. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, now let's let's switch over to the side to the pasta side of the menu. Sure, because this is this is what I'm really excited about. As much sure. as I love Viafrena's pizza, pasta is just like it's my thing. I'm obsessed with it, and you guys make excellent pasta. Thank I just you, thank you. The thing that I love about pasta is like it's such a simple thing on its face. It's just usually water and dough. Some recipes have eggs. Sure, I don't I don't know if you guys do. I know you have the egg raviolo, but. It's actually kind of a, it's it's a very difficult thing to make. Like, it's so simple in concept, but to actually make it really well, it is not an easy thing to do. Can you kind of talk to me about the craft and how you learned to, to really become a pasta expert? Because I know, you know, you said coming in, you were... You didn't have a ton of experience.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I would say I'm far from a pasta expert. Okay, um, fair enough. I, I will, uh, I've actually dove in more over the last couple of months into the pasta side of it than I had previously. Uh, you know, when I talked about kind of building our team, right, when I first came on to VIA, uh, one of the guys that I brought in had experience with pasta. And so he was kind of our, our guy that took care of anything that was going to start as a dough or be a dough at some point in its process. That was kind of his baby.
0: He was the dough guy. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and uh, and he did a great job for us and, and developed a lot of things. And then just over the last, like, you know, couple of months is where I've really kind of taken over that side. So I'm still learning a lot of that. Um, but it is awesome to watch those things come together. You know, just it's about the right mix time. It's about the right hydration time. And it's when it comes together, it, it's so pretty. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think it's, it's another one of those things, you know, it's kind of like what you talked about with the oven. It's it's a relationship it almost. It's something is. that you're constantly learning. How important is that as a chef to to have that humility, to admit that you don't know everything and that you are still constantly learning, whether it's pizza, whether it's pasta, whatever it is, to constantly be searching for more as opposed to saying, okay, I got this.
1: Oh, I mean, to to just have that attitude of like, I got this. That would, you would just be a fool. There, there's so much to learn. There's, I mean, there, there's endless resources. I mean, now in the days of, you know, just the internet being at the point that it's at the cookbooks that we have access to the, the chefs around the world that we have access to, like, there's so much to learn. Um, especially when you dive into something like pasta, like it's, it's a word that, I mean, my five-year-old knows the word pasta Mm -hmm. and, you know, here I am at 37 and I'm learning more about pasta than I ever knew. Uh, shapes, types of doughs, uh, cook times, you know, what what goes with what sauce and for what reason? Why does this make sense? How do you finish that? What garnishment works with certain types of pasta? Uh, th- I mean, there's so much to take on that it, but it's fun. It's not stressful to learn those things. It's, I mean, what more delicious way to do some R&D and, and mess up a couple things.
0: Oh, yeah. I cannot even imagine how much weight I would put on if oh, I were yeah. doing R&D with no, pasta. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, now, there's something that you said there that I actually had on my list of things that I wanted to talk about because I think it's it's such a cool concept, like, there is this science behind pasta and the shapes that go with sauces. Like, I feel like most of my life when I made pasta, when we'd make pasta, I was just like, okay, boil some noodles and we'll splash some tomato sauce on there, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But there is such a science that goes into creating dishes and deciding, you know, which noodle am I going to use that's going to work with, you know, this sauce, what's going to absorb a certain sauce, you know, what might work better with a meat sauce versus, you know, a long stranded noodle. Can you kind of talk to me about the relationship and figuring out how to pair different types of noodles with different sauces?
1: Yeah, for me, it kind of starts with, you know, gravitating one way or another. Whether you want to start with, I really want to do this shape of pasta with this type of pasta dough and then find the perfect pairings to go with it. Or maybe it's like summertime and you want to do a mint pesto and it's time to kind of work backwards and find like which shape is going to work best with that sauce type of thing. Uh, you know your your pastas that tend to feather a little bit more are going to want to pick up more of the sauce the ones with ridges on them are going to pick up more of the sauce as where you know a lot of your egg noodle doughs you're going to want to put with something just slightly lighter a lot of times you know whether that just be you know the tomato or pan sauces you don't typically want to do you know a super heavy pasta with a super heavy sauce then you kind of you just feel like you overdid it at the end of your meal. So you want to get full, but you want to leave comfortable as well.
0: Mm -hmm. What is, what is your favorite? Like everyone has a favorite Positis. What's your favorite Positis you've tasted?
1: Man, that is so hard. We actually talk about this on a regular basis at work. We we do a lot of the, what's your favorite thing on the menu right now? What's your favorite new item? Uh What's your, you know, three favorite cereals? Like whatever it is, you know, whatever that conversation is to, to kind of pass time in a day. Um, that is so tough. I would probably have to go between a Bucatini alla mm. or man, like a chicken liver bolognese with rigatoni. Even rigatoni, even like an egg yolk dough, mm-hmm. like one of those two.
0: Yeah, I I can't argue with you there. And I want to give a shout out to Via Farina and a shout out to Dave Zorco of the Saturday Omaha uh, podcast you- who introduced this to me, but. The Mafalde ragu that you guys have, which is just a beautiful pasta with a smoked wagyu beef and pork ragu. It is divine. Thank you. It is delicious. It's right up there with my favorite pasta dishes. Like he recommend, it's one of those dishes that like someone recommends it to you and they talk about it so much and they speak of it so highly where it's like, okay, even if this is really, really good, <laughs> it's probably going to let me down a little bit. And that did not. It well, was, it had a nice smokiness. Oh man.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. He's, Very good. he, he frequents the restaurant. We're super appreciative of him. Uh, he, he's been the, the biggest fan of that one specific pasta, <laughs> like by far. It, it's awesome.
0: He's the mascot. Uh, one of the things that I absolutely love about Via Frena's menu is it's simplicity and you kind of mentioned it's it's sure. pretty much pizza and pasta but I think there's even simplicity in the dishes I feel like you know every dish isn't loaded down with a bunch of ingredients I think each component in a dish may be complex um but it's not like you know you look at the menu and it's not like there's 15 different things listed off it's it's simple ingredients put together so well is there it like is there a method to the madness just in embracing that simplicity?
1: So it's, there's a big learning process that goes into figuring out how to embrace that simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as, as a young cook, you you're always, just by nature, you try to overdo things too much. You know, you're always going to be one component too much on something. Or when you're doing an entree, it's got to have the right, you know, fat, acid heat all these things have to balance out so you see something like a margarita pizza and it seems almost too simple mm-hmm. you're like what can we do to make this better well you can't it's it's the classic pizza for a reason um so you have a couple of humbling moments where you you throw you know six eight ten different things on a pizza and you're like holy shit this is going to be amazing it's really not like, it's (laughs) like, it's good, but it's like, you, you went too far. Uh It's you kind of complicated thing. And then, you know, you, you get enough of a sample size, whether that was me being there for six months or a year or a year and a half. And you kind of look at what sells and you, you see your sales charts on everything. And the, the stuff that doesn't go anywhere, it never leaves the menu and is at the top of your sales every time are the things that are the most simple. Mm-hmm. Like when you run down our list, it's like we used to have a, a Tyrene with crab on it. The whole dish is like six ingredients. Mm-hmm. You know, the margarita pizza, you know, everybody knows tomato, salt, pecorino, it's mozzarella, basil, all of delicious. Oil. Like it's again, like, you know, six ingredients, including water. Like there's just not much to it, but it's so well balanced. You know, we have a cauliflower salad on the any pasta menu number one seller almost all the time Mm -hmm. and it's because it's like almost unadulterated ingredients just mixed at the right balance you know you've got your olive oil your chili flake your fried cauliflower fresh arugula and it just it's balance and and then you see those things and then you learn like okay i can i don't have to show off by putting this much extra stuff on something you know this isn't like a, a cali style burrito where it's like yeah how much stuff can we jam in there before the french fries it's like you know the just leave it simple.
0: Uh-huh. How like how long did it take for you to learn that process of editing yourself of being able to restrain and say okay, I I I want to add more like, you know, chefy components yeah. to this, but I need to restrain myself.
1: I think it was probably more of finding a balance between finding the right time to do those things. Mm uh you know maybe run it as a special or something but mm-hmm. it, you don't need to put something on the menu with that many touches you know especially in our kind of setting and then when you look over like the major landscape of of international food so many different foods have like this very simplistic approach to it you know you go to south side and get tacos it's like meat onion cilantro on a tortilla like, that's it like they're not dressing it up with nine or ten different things the french omelette You know, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, some of these like mainstays that have been, you know, we've been eating them for years. They almost become underappreciated because they're so simple. But at the end of the day, when you, when you look at that type of food, like it's some of the best stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you, you kind of save some of the other stuff for when it's time to, you know, do a special pizza, do a special pasta, you know, go ahead and throw a few different extra components on the garnish, make it cool. You know, especially if you're going to do like a small tasting menu style where maybe it's you know a a foie gras ravioli or something like that where you're only going to get maybe three or four small bite-sized pieces but maybe that's the time to start elevating it with you know the you know four different components to the garnishment.
0: I like it I like it all right we've gotten a good introduction to Via Farina we've gotten some people pretty hungry I would imagine (laughs) now I want to talk a little bit about your career and kind of your journey uh, as a chef so let's just go back to the beginning. Like, how did you get into cooking? How did you know that this is what you wanted to do for a career?
1: So I went to high school in a, a small town of 1,200 people in central Nebraska, and I didn't know that culinary school was a thing. Like, that was just, mm-hmm. you know, most people were, were either going to UNL or to a community college for some generic, you know, accounting or or whatever. And they didn't really know what they wanted to do, and and I certainly didn't. So I I had cooked and done some farm work, basically, just like, you know, handyman type stuff. So coming out of high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And it was about halfway through my senior year. uh, One of the, the guidance counselors that helped with a lot of the college admissions had come to me and said, you know, have you thought about culinary school? And I said, I don't even know what that means. And he was like, great. I sent for this packet for Le Cordon Bleu for you. Here it is. Go home, take a look at it. I looked at it, called and applied the next day and didn't apply to a backup school, didn't do any of that. I just kind of, you know, decided to wing it and the rest is history, I guess.
0: What was that experience like in culinary school?
1: It was terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) It was absolutely terrifying. Why? Um, I went into a school, um, it was a really nice school. I mean, our our staff was incredible. Uh, Just some amazing chefs to learn with. But I was really young. I mean, I started, my first day of college was something like, 12 days after I graduated high school or something. I didn't take a summer break. Um, Most I'd say the average age in my class was probably like late 20s, maybe even early 30s. So I was kind of walking in. These people had already like been cooking for a while, had tried all this stuff. And I was like, oh, man, I might be in over my head. I, I, I probably should have started at a different school and then come to this school. But we just kind of, you know, battled through it. And, you know, the first, you know, probably six weeks were pretty, pretty wild. It was, I I was realizing just how much I did not know about cooking. But then by the end of it, like I was so much more comfortable. I learned a ton there. Uh, Interning afterwards, like a lot of that was a huge part of the process.
0: Was there any point during those first six weeks where you were just like, this is too much. I'm in over my head. Or was it just you were learning so much that you just were like a sponge and you're just like, give me more, give me more. Kind of, where did you fall on that spectrum? Yeah,
1: it was, I don't know that it ever got to the point to where I considered maybe walking away from it. I, I think that there were a lot of people that did. We, we lost a lot of students. I think we started with a class of like 55 and I think 40 made it out of the first six weeks. So mm. I think it was probably seeing that many people drop off was probably enough motivation to not drop off. And then I had a, uh, I fortunately had a couple of roommates that were like one or two classes ahead of me. So they were like, you know, if you can make it through this, you'll be fine. Like class sizes get smaller, things get a little more focused. And it was like, okay, I I can deal with that. And then after that, it was pretty smooth sailing. It was, you know, but prior to that, I had been like, you know, just dropped off in the Twin Cities and no family, no friends, not a ton of money, didn't have a car. It was just like, you know, kind of winging it. But, but we eventually, you know, made some friends and uh, branched out a little bit, got a job and, and all those things just kind of helped.
0: Okay, so you're you're in culinary school in Minneapolis. You graduate. Did you come back to Omaha immediately? I know that you ended up taking jobs at V Mertz and the Field Club, but did yeah. you did you work somewhere else before there?
1: Yeah, I went. Uh, I moved back home for about a year or so, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more than that. Um, so I moved out back out with mom back in uh, Central Nebraska, and I was working at a place in Columbus called Dusters. Uh, that was kind of that. That was that was my first job out of school. And that was like a, a really just kind of a bizarre experience because I, I started out like they didn't one of the the chef didn't want to hire me, first of all, because I was a culinary school graduate. And, uh-huh. and he's one of the guys that, you know, has something against the culinary school guys. Yep. Um, so him and the, the sous chef had both made a hire at the same time, assuming one of us would not work out. So he hired me for like daytime pantry. So I was like, you know, cutting melons for salads, for turkey salads, for like, you know you know, the, the rotary club and uh-huh. stuff like that. Uh-huh. It, it, I mean, there was nothing exciting about it using, you know, secondary products, you know, IQF salmon and stuff. And I'm just like, man, I didn't go to school for this. Um, but then, you know, it, it was really quickly. We, we developed a relationship. Me and that chef are still really, really good friends. Um, but, but things kind of expanded from there. You know, I, I kind of, you know, showed a little bit of worth and and that opened up the playbook a little bit to order in some more ingredients and have a little more fun and try some dishes that, that maybe that they weren't used to doing out there at that point. And eventually I, I felt like I had kind of hit the point where it was time to make my next stepping stone. And, um, I remember taking a two days off, came to Omaha and applied at like every restaurant that I had seen on any list of like top 10 restaurants in Omaha. And I think I only got two callbacks and one of them was V Mertz. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's a good callback to it's, get. No, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, that was, that was probably the turning point. That was, um, you know, that was when I got into a kitchen and, and it was kind of back to the culinary school days where I walked in. And I was like, shit, I'm in over my head. Mm-hmm. Like these people are so much more talented than I am. Um, but that was also where I learned how important the team aspect of it is, um, how important it is to use each other as resources, to work together on things, to make one another better, not belittle anybody. Um, you know, going to Le Cordon Bleu, like a lot of those chefs, they, they're okay just kind of shitting on people, you know, it's, you know, you mess something up and you know, they don't have a problem telling you that, but nobody ever like pulls you aside and be like, Hey, next time, maybe do this. Mm -hmm. You know, there there was a lot of like, you know, times in culinary school, I was like, man, I'm paying for this. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't feel like we should be treated like this, but, Mm -hmm. but I think it made us all stronger probably in the end. But v was the first time where I was with like an entire staff of people that really, really cared about, each other about the food about the guest experience um i mean every aspect i mean you're familiar with Mertz, and this is this is vmertz pre what it is now you mm-hmm. know this is back when uh, eileen and west stamp owned it um i mean what jake and amanda and that crew over there is doing right now is like a whole nother level this is i mean those guys are arguably putting out some of the best food omaha's ever seen mm-hmm. um so this is like a, this is a completely different time but that was and, and I think that's still there. Like that one aspect of it, it hasn't changed. It's still this like team camaraderie, this team elevation that's still there that makes that place so special.
0: So it sounds like there was a lot of culture shock for you going on. You have this Tons. this new you know team dynamic going on. I mean, no offense to Dusters, but it doesn't sound like a fine dining type <laughs> of place. It certainly wasn't. So you're moving from Dusters to like – one of Omaha's, if not Omaha's premier, like yeah. fine dining tasting menu destination. Just a- as you're like, were, were you just swimming in it for the first couple of weeks or I months? Was, or h- how do you even adjust to that?
1: Honestly, I was absolutely terrified because I can remember reading the menu and seeing things on there that I was like, I don't know what that is. I've never <laughs> even heard of that. Yeah. You know, I had never used microgreens at that point. Uh-huh. You, know, out, you know, in the, the world of mushrooms, and, and now we have access to so many good mushrooms, even some of them grown locally um but you know you're seeing things like lobster mushrooms and chanterelles and black trumpets and you're like what is that like you know i'm coming from a town of 1200 people and then i cooked in columbus and um you know even in culinary school we didn't really access a ton of that stuff you know it was a lot of like here's your technique and do it on chicken Mm -hmm. um so there was there was so many different things you know technique and ingredients and Uh, You know, the way the brigade system kind of set up in that kitchen, there were, there were so many different aspects that, you know, I embraced it. We had a, fortunately for me, we had a crew that was really young. Like there was a lot of people that were around my age, um, you know, came out of school around the same time I did and guys that ended up being very successful here in town. That was probably my saving grace was just being around people that were like me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was It was the first time ever that I was also able to, you know, get off work, go grab a beer and talk food with the people that I was cooking with, the same people that I was going to be cooking with the next day. Um, And it wasn't a job necessarily. It wasn't a show up, clock in, get your stuff done, clock out, go home, do your homework, come back the next day, feel like you're working by yourself again. Like it was a whole different environment.
0: Mm -hmm. Now you eventually rose up to become the sous chef there um yeah so
1: yeah we kind of had a it was a really cool setup we didn't really have a brigade in the sense of like executive chef sous chef chef de cuisine those types of things we basically had you know like seven people that were all cross-trained um now you knew kind of where everybody fell in on a busy night but on any given day or night everybody was kind of interchangeable you know Interesting. One person might specifically take care of like butchering proteins, but then even that could branch out to where maybe it's like today, somebody's cutting fish today. Somebody's cutting lamb and beef or, or whatever that was. But it was, th- that's why it was such an amazing le- learning experience is because it wasn't like, well, I don't get to do that. Cause that's what the chef does.
0: Mm-hmm. So you, you get that experience of emerts. You ended up working at the field club. And then in 2014, you took over the kitchen at M's pub. Yep. Now that is in, iconic Omaha restaurant. I mean, when people talk about Omaha restaurants, that's one of the first ones that springs to mind. Sure. Was that intimidating for you to, that's kind of your first like head job as you're taking over this iconic place? So
1: it was a little more like organic and seamless than I ever thought it was going to be. So I actually went into M's in 2010. Okay. Um, And Brooke Garaki, who had been the sous chef at M's, um, was also one of those people that I was mentioning working at V-Mertz with. Mm-hmm. So she knew I was ready to make a change. She had just bought her restaurant out in Fremont. We ran into each other, and she said, do you want my job? And I said, yeah. <laughs> so it yeah, was it was organic. like, yeah, you know, it was like a quick interview with Bobby McKinney, who was the chef of Avache and M's Pub at that point, and Ron, who was one of the owners at that point. And it was like a quick sit down. It's like, you know, what are your you know thoughts on food and the restaurant – game in general and we talked for you know maybe 15 minutes and he's like i'll match what you're making now and i said all right cool i'll start in two weeks i mean it was that you know that kind of easy and then you know i went in and the part that was the toughest was to get used to the volume Mm -hmm. but still keeping up with the the quality um and sometimes even more so the consistency i think that's why ems has been so popular for so long is it's so consistent Mm -hmm. um you know, there, there's some items on the menu that to me and other people that have worked in that restaurant, some people that work there now, like there's some items that just don't make sense, Mm -hmm. but it's consistent. It's been on the menu for 40 years. People love it. People come back for it. So it doesn't matter what you think it's, it's, that's what people want to eat. So you give it to them. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a big part of why they've been so successful for so long.
0: And that, that right there is a topic that fascinates me. Whenever I talk to someone who's taken over, or you know, has, has assumed an executive chef role or you know, leads a kitchen of a restaurant that is already well-established, sure. they're not starting something new, is how do you find that balance between respecting the things that everyone likes, the thing kind of the pillars that the restaurant was built on, versus being a chef and expressing your creativity and saying, this stuff is great, but I have some new ideas too. Kind of how do you walk that line?
1: So at it, it Ems, it was a little bit easier because we have a, had a special menu that changed every two weeks. Mm-hmm. That's where you got to play. Mm-hmm. Um, it was two entrees, eight – or I'm sorry, two appetizers, eight entrees changed every two weeks. Regardless, uh, you know, maybe once a year you would do like a best of the, the year um, type of menu. But otherwise, that was your, your time to explore, your time to have fun, and your time to just fall on your face. Um, <laughs> and all those things happened on a regular basis, and it was – it was really, really, I mean, just awesome learning. I mean, I i could not even start to write down the amount of ingredients that I was able to use there that I had never worked with in the past, you know,
0: even at V. Mertz, really?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, at V. Mertz back in that day, it was a lot of, you know, on the seafood side, for example, mm-hmm. a lot of your, uh, you know, delicate seafoods, prawns and scallops and sea bass was a big thing back then, you know, and so were the people that were really upset that people were eating sea bass. That, mm-hmm. that was a big thing as well. Um, and then we got over to Ems, uh, and it was, I mean, in a given year, we could have 15 different fish. Mm-hmm. Um, I And we probably brought in 30 different fish over the course of my time there. Um, all sorts of wild game from all over the country. Um, I mean, nothing was off limits. Like, that place... You know, I always kind of joked about that, that scene from Tommy Boy where they're like, you know, your dad could sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman and wife. It's kind of like that because if you're willing to take a chance on it and that place has the reputation that it does, somebody's going to try that dish. Mm-hmm. For better or for worse, somebody's going to try that dish. Now, there's dishes that you put on the menu that sell way better than you ever thought, that come out way better than you ever anticipated, stuff that you kind of put in your back pocket. And you're like, when I open a restaurant, that's going on the menu. Mm-hmm there's also dishes that the first time it comes back and it, you know, it's was just kind of like picked over and that was it. You're like, Oh man, I failed miserably. And then you kind of like rethink it. And you're like, I know where I went wrong. Like it sucks that I went wrong there, but I, I learned from it. Um, it could be, I mean, for somebody who hasn't been humbled in the past, like that'd be, that'd be a place to go.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So not to bring up bad memories, sure. But- the fire, yeah, at M's Pub. It, yeah. it happens January 2016. I don't believe you were in the restaurant that I day. Was or you not weren't there when it happened. Correct. Okay, can you just kind of tell me about that day and what happened? What was going through your mind? All the emotions.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, so I had two sous chefs at the point. So at, at this point, um, Vivace had closed and moved on to Market House. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were just operating as M's Pub at that point. So um, I had two sous chefs, Pete and Jake, um, and Pete called and said, There's a smell of gas. And I said, Get everybody out. I'm on my way. I'll explain it to Ann later. And then his phone went dead. And then he called me back. I think it was like 90 seconds later or something. He's like, Place just exploded. Oh my God. And I'm like, Okay. So I'm thinking it exploded like there was a, a little blast somewhere. Um, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect, but I, I didn't expect what I saw, um, you know, within, I think it was within like four or five minutes of him calling me the first time I was already in the car headed downtown. And, and I had, I, you know, was one of those, like, you know, palms are sweaty. I'm shaking. I don't know what I'm about to drive into. Um, and the only person I knew to call was Bobby McKinney, who, who was the chef there previous to me. And and he's like, what do you mean to explode? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I don't know what I'm expecting you to say. I just, I needed to call somebody and you were the the only person I could think to call. Um, you know, I'm I'm obviously terrified for the people that were in the building. You know, I had just had a baby girl just shy of two months before that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my wife's at home crying, like just because of how close, I mean, I could have been there. You know, mm-hmm. there, there, there were so many things that were just like, the fact that nobody was seriously injured or killed in that was just insane. And, mm-hmm. and then like the you know, to get down there and see the whole front of it just like completely blown out. And there's, you know, fire trucks and news and police and people running everywhere. It was like, I mean, it was surreal. It, it was really, really weird. It's a day that I'll never forget.
0: Mm-hmm. So after you recover from the initial shock, which I'm sure, yeah, it was just like, you know, it just flattens you. Yeah. How, how do you go about picking up the pieces after that? Like, what are the weeks and months following as you try to figure out what does my life look like now that this restaurant is M's pub is open again now, but it was out of capacity for years, a couple of
1: years. Yeah. Um, I think the first part was obviously to make sure everybody was okay, both physically and emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, we quickly, you know, I, I had a lot of contact with the owners at that point. We uh, you know, we got everybody together for just kind of a, a meeting, just kind of make sure everybody was okay and kind of see what our next steps needed to be to get everybody into a good place we set up a job fair for, for not just the people at Em's, but the other people that worked like, you know, around that area in that block that, that were losing jobs. Uh, where could we place these people at? There was, you know, it was, it was tough because there's so many restaurants in this town. There's always restaurant jobs out there, but for somebody, you know, we had guys that had worked at Em's for 10 years, yeah. 15 years, 20. We had a guy that had been there for like just shy of 40 years. Holy cow. Um, like, you can't just tell that person to just go apply for another job. You know, it's mm-hmm. really about talking to that person and seeing whether, what do you want to do? do? You still want to cook? Do you want to do something else? Do you, I mean, and then from there, I kind of went out and talked to other people that were hiring and tried to place the right people at the right restaurant. And and my goal was to give people a decision to make when M's reopened, if it was going to reopen that, are you going to go back home to M's or is this your new home? And that was kind of the idea from the beginning was to, to give people that decision to make, but but hopefully put them in a place that they weren't going to just have to, you know, go and quit right away because they, you know, they hated it because it wasn't M's. M's was a, a very unique thing. A a lot of people talk about the restaurant that they work at or the place that they work at. It's like family and it's like this and it's bullshit. Most of the time (laughs) M's really was like that. M's I mean, I think it's the only place I've ever worked at where there was more than like 10 people on the staff that had been there for more than 10 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, for a restaurant, that's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, something that I think is pretty telling about your character is when I asked that question originally, I was talking about you personally. I was like, what do you do to pick up the pieces? And you immediately transitioned into, (laughs) I was helping everybody. And because that's That's... where your mind went, you were thinking about your (laughs) staff first, which I think is awesome. But I also want to get in your headspace a little bit. Like when you look back at that time, was there a part of you that, you know, was almost like shocked into thinking, do I still want to work in restaurants? You know, should I, should I do something else? Like, did you start just, you know, talking to friends and saying, where, you know, are there any positions open? Like, where do you even go when something like that happens? Yeah.
1: So, so fortunately um, the owners gave me word that I would have a couple more paychecks coming. So I didn't have to worry about myself so immediately. Yeah. Um, my bigger thing then was like to be as grateful as I was that I wasn't in the building when that happened. Like I said, we had just had a baby girl. So it was like, I, I, I'm at M's, you know, 60 hours a week for the first time ever. I get to like spend some time at home, like albeit on a terrible, terrible note, but I actually get to spend some time at home now. Um, that was probably like the biggest blessing of the whole thing for me personally was just that time that I got to have. had to be a stay-at-home dad essentially for like the next six months it Mm -hmm. was it was wild um but quickly after that I was talking to a couple different people that had some projects in the works um that's when I started talking to Willie Thiessen on Paragon and Mm -hmm. and so there was there was two or three different conversations going on kind of simultaneously and it was you know I'd meet with these guys and I'd talk about what the options were and then I'd go back and talk with my wife and maybe go out for a couple of drinks and talk to some buddies and and kind of narrow down. And at the end of the day, landed on Paragon. And that was a restaurant that was you know still being built um, set to open in the summer. We didn't have a name for it yet. We didn't have a concept for it yet. There was a lot of things that weren't there. Um, so that, that gave me time to just kind of create it from the ground up and, and spend some time, more time at home, mm-hmm. um, spend a lot of time in a test kitchen, you know, things like that.
0: How exciting is that as a chef? Because, you know, we've talked about how, you had opportunities at other restaurants, especially at M's, to kind of get creative and make some new dishes and stuff. But at Paragon, this is a brand new restaurant. Sure. You don't even necessarily have a concept. Like Willie, I'm sure he had ideas and yep. everything, but you get to build this thing from the ground up. I'm sure that that's on one hand very intimidating, but like on the other, how exciting is that as a chef to just have this ball of clay that you get to shape?
1: It was. It was. It was all the above. You're right on all those. It was. Uh... Stressful. It was exciting. Um, it was it was so, so cool to go through all the aspects. I had never opened a restaurant before. I was at the Hilton when it first opened across from the Quest Center. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't part of, you know, any sort of, I was just a, a line cook at that point. So um it was really, really neat to go through and see all the aspects and get to meet so many of the people along the way, you know, the the general contractors that are doing stuff, the the people that are going to build out the bar, the people that are putting the kitchen, you know, the equipment in the kitchen, but it's up to you to design how that kitchen's going to look. What mm-hmm. the flow of that's going to be, you know, all the way down to what pans are we cooking in? What silverware are people eating with? What cups are they drinking out of? Uh, you know, all these things that are, are you know, kind of, I, I guess to the general public, I assume just kind of like glanced over, you know, you'll see some people that'll leave a review and be like, oh, the plate sucked. The, the, the fork fell off the side of, you know, whatever it might be, but most people don't pay attention to that kind of stuff.
0: Nope, not at all.
1: Um, and, and when you have to, you know, kind of start with like a stack of catalogs and, and start looking through and you're like, oh my God, there's like 10,000 different plate sets to start with. So let's narrow down to like 50 and then we'll kind of go from there. And then it's like, you know, you, we drove to Kansas City to meet with Mike Stallhorn and could talk about plates. And, you know, he kind of knew the direction that our menu was kind of headed at that point, conceptually what we were going to be. We had some drawings with some color and stuff, so we could finally start putting some things together. And then it's like, you know, you narrow down to like three different plate styles. And then we coincidentally like went into one place for a drink and they have the same plates that we were looking at. And it was like, you know, we asked the server, what do you think? They're like, she's like, I hate him. The, this fork falls off of it all the time. You try to stack them, they don't stack. And it was like, all right, cool. Take that one off the list. Oh, there you go. So it was like, you know, by that you, you narrow down and it's like, you know, you end up with exactly what you wanted, hopefully, but you look back and you're like, oh my God, that was like at least a 30 minute conversation every week for the last six months wow. to get to that plate.
0: And that, that's just one tiny ass. That's, that's just one plate. That's just it. Yeah. That, whole, that's yeah. Yeah. So, I, man, I cannot even... How long did it take, like, once you signed on with Paragon until you, you guys opened to, like, to iron out all the details?
1: Oh, let's see. I think I signed on... It would have been, like, early February, and I think we opened in July, I believe. So about five months, maybe closer to 6 Mm-hmm.
0: So, unfortunately the concept it just didn't take i don't sure. I don't know if it was a location thing but, but paragon <laughs> closes in 2017 and that's when you got a chance to come on at Via Frina. you mentioned didn't really have much of much experience you know yeah. with italian cooking how did you get hooked up there and what enticed you to make the tr- transition to that job so
1: so that was exactly what drew me to it is that there was for the first time in a while i was going to walk into a kitchen that I was so clueless about so much of what was going on. And it seemed like such a good time to just kind of hit the reset button and go, go kind of just dive all the way in again. Um, Paul and Ethan, the owners, uh, after the Ems fire, they had hired a couple of people from Ems uh, that were kind of close to them. Uh, Jeremy Hunter was the, the GM at the point. And he called me. He's like, hey, we're looking. Are you interested? I said, Sure. You know, let's set up a talk, and so I went and talked to Paul and Ethan, and that was it. It was one sit-down conversation, and and I knew that was the move.
0: So you mentioned much earlier that basically you were almost starting with a whole new staff. Yeah. You, you were bringing in everybody. Yeah. How did you guys like? What kind of crash course did you guys go through to get to the point where you were comfortable running that kitchen at the level that it had been previously?
1: It was uh, it was really interesting to see the way it had kind of come together. So the staff that had been there previous of me um you know for one reason or another they 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 felt that it was time to go and and i don't know what those conversations were behind closed doors none of my business Mm -hmm. um but we had i think two guys maybe three that had come on and worked like the last week that those guys were there so we kind of took people that had like some experience in like similar areas and we were able to kind of like piece it together like that so you know, one of our guys, Taylor had come from Ica. So mm-hmm. it was like, all right, well, you're our pasta saute guy now. <laughs> like, you know, it was <laughs> yeah. like, you know, it was pretty loose transition or translation, but it was like, ah, oh, you know what? He knows how to drop pasta in water for this long, run a timer, get his pan sets. Like, l- let's just start there. You know, another guy's, you know, I've made pizza. I've worked at this place doing pizza. All right, great. You're, you're going to be our lead pizza guy now. Mm-hmm. And it was, you just kind of refine things. And, and me walking in, I was like, I don't, I don't know most of this, you know, we had a uh, one cook from the previous staff who had actually come back and he was a huge help. Like he was like our, our bridge to everything. It was, you know, knowing the timing on the starters and the doughs and all that kind of stuff. Like It was huge without him. It's, it's hard telling where we would have ended up at, but, but we at least had one person in the building that was like, yeah, we can do this, 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 and
0: this. Mm-hmm. I'm sure having so many people with, you know, limited experience on one hand, that's extremely intimidating, probably sure. terrifying sure. to some aspect, but is there like a, is there like some kind of a bond that forms during that communal learning no process? Question. Cause you're all coming together at once. You're all learning together as opposed to having veterans who are, you know, talking down to the people who don't know, but it sounds of like, course. yes, you guys built like a, a bond through that.
1: Yeah, no question. Um, in fact, Taylor, who was one of the guys that that came on, right? He was there, I think, the week before I got there. He just recently left. Uh, you know, him and I had worked together for the last three years, uh, he, and he was a great guy. You know, you build up that that reliability. You, you build up that knowing what another person is thinking, what they're doing, what needs to be done. You know, you get to... Eliminate a bunch of the conversation in the middle stuff because you just you you know where the other one's going to be at, um, and that's stuff that only time does. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, you know, for, to have you know a half a dozen of us in there that you know from day one really didn't know what we were doing to to make it to where we're at now it, it has been has been pretty incredible.
0: How have you seen over the last three years via Viafrena grow and change? Because I mean, it was already it was already a very good restaurant, you know when you got there in twenty seventeen, but I'm sure it's not the same today as sure. it was then.
1: Sure. You know, a lot of it's been I would say, you know, minor tweaks on our back end, but but hopefully larger tweaks on the front end. Um you know, we you know are constantly playing around with like our dough. You know, we'll play with the hydration. We might use a different flour. We might change our mix times, so things like that to just to try to get this, you know, this perfect product that we want. And we're chasing a unicorn. Like it's, (laughs) there's no perfect, but it's, you know, you, you try to get it as close to that as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, That's probably the biggest thing is like really playing through that. And then kind of as your staff changes, you're always trying to get one step better. So you lose somebody who maybe has been there for a couple of years who means so much to you you can't look at it as a, well, now we're a person down and we're, it's going to take us another two years to get back to that level. Now the idea is to like hyperactivate somebody to to try to catch up and not only catch up but pass where that person was in something. It doesn't have to be that exact thing, but you kind of have to like thrive on this like addition by subtraction concept. Um, you know, that's what we've done. You know, like when, you know, we started taking over some more of the the pasta stuff, then – that was a learning experience. Like no doubt our quality dropped for a couple of days, but it was like, how soon can we get it back up? Mm-hmm. How soon can we do this? How soon can we get more people on our staff knowledgeable about all these things? You know, at the end of the day, if the quality doesn't raise up for a day, but the talent of the team around you and the drive of the, t- of the people around you does, then that's a win-win for me.
0: I love that. That's awesome. Uh, as we wind down here, we're kind of getting up against it on time, but I want to give you an opportunity to talk about something that you're doing at Via Farina now that I think is super cool. As soon as this idea came out, I I was like, wow, that's awesome. Why are more restaurants not doing that? And that's your summer supper series. Sure. And this is, Every Sunday, you guys have a you know a different dinner. I, I believe you know it's intended to to serve a family. Yep. So it comes with a an antipasti course, a pasta and sauce, some bread service, dessert. You can add a bottle of wine. Just kind of yeah. tell tell the people why they need to order this thing. Maybe where the idea come from, and how is how has it gone over so far?
1: So it it's gone over really well. Um, you know, as soon as COVID hit, you had a couple places not just restaurants but a couple places and a couple people that just wanted to like sit back and let everything come to them well it's not like here we are eight months later we're still in this stuff Mm -hmm. um but the people that i think have thrived been the most successful have learned the most from it are the people that like took it head on and just hustled their asses off through this thing like there's a lot of restaurants that really have done just this truly amazing job of just adjusting what they do especially restaurants that have been around for so long and done one thing or a specific type of thing for them to expand, um, on the fly like that, um, was pretty awesome. And that's what we did. You know, we started with, okay, what can we start doing retail wise? We can start selling pasta. We can sell sauces. We can sell condiments. We can sell cheeses, things like that. From there, then it kind of went into this, like, you know, like a lot of other restaurants did, like, what can we do to make things easier for a family at home. That's stressed out, they need to eat, they still they still want to support local. Like that's been a huge thing is like, if anything has gotten better through this whole thing, it's like people's ability and want to support local places. Um, so we started doing these like lasagna kits and it was like, you know, pick up your lasagna and, and whatever else we were putting with it that week for this price. And then we eventually transitioned to like, you know, takeout specials you could come get three pizzas for this price and it was like we would see something like go up and get really really good for a while and then when it would start coming down it would come down really hard so it was like okay no matter what we have to like know what our next move is Mm -hmm. so we started the sunday subscriptions and that has by far been the most successful thing we did through this whole thing um and we definitely have had our peaks and valleys on it but it's um, it's been the the most successful. It's been the most consistent. It's been the longest standing, and so it's set up to feed a family of four. It's forty five dollars, I believe. Which, um, I mean,
0: that's a steal
1: of a yeah. price. Yeah, and it was kind of the timing on it was so perfect because no matter where you looked online, it was like people are experimenting with sourdough, and people are making their own breads, and people are making their own this, and they're learning how to pickle things and preserve it, and. So it was like, okay, we we have this crowd of people that are are interested in food at home, not just picking up product that's already made, but Mm -hmm. they actually want to cook. So we kind of set it up in a way where we've done most of the heavy lifting, but you still have to cook something.
0: You've set up the mise en place.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And we, I mean, we've measured everything out most of the time. So if it's, you know, you're adding chili flakes, but you're afraid that it's going to get too hot. Like we've already measured those out. We've already done our R&D on it. We give you the directions. Um, most of the time, as tough as it gets, is like boiling your your pasta, seasoning it properly. We're teaching you how to, when you strain that pasta off, reserve some of your pasta water because mm-hmm. of how important that is. You know, most people didn't go through that at home growing up. It was like, for some odd reason, you had that like you cook the pasta, then you drain all the water off, then you put cold water on it, and then like all the good stuff is gone uh-huh. at that point. Yep. So um, the colander is the enemy. Yeah, absolutely. So. <laughs> So you know we've tried to we've tried to teach people like not only like how to cook how important it is to, like have your stuff mise en place, um, and then some of those things like you know what a knob of butter does at the end of a pasta that just elevates it what that starchy water does to just elevate your pasta.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I love the idea. I think it's brilliant. I think you know people if you if you have a family even if it's just. Even if it's just you and you want to have some leftovers, yeah, like, leftovers heat up okay. Yeah, this is a great <laughs> option, I, and I love that it's on Sundays because Sundays yep. just kind of feels like ah, oh, it's a you know, kind of a kind of a lazy day. Like I don't want to do a, a ton of intensive like cooking or anything. Yeah. Boom, there's this. It's like you said, it's put together for you basically. You get to, you get to do a little cooking, so you like you get that feeling of satisfaction sure. that I did something. I didn't just pick it up, but you don't have to do all the heavy lifting, and I, I think that's a great idea. So I encourage you, listeners, check out that that summer se- or uh, the Sunday supper series, excuse me, and it changes
1: every week. Yep. So there's changes, different options every week. Changes every week. We do try to minimize the dishes for you. Yes. Um, a lot of times if we can do a, a pasta in one or two pans, we certainly will. If there if there's something we can mix ahead of time, we will. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's free delivery.
0: How do you beat that?
1: And I mean that delivery goes wide. We start in Bellevue and end up in Elkhorn and That's Bennington incredible. and. We're all over the place.
0: And and that extends. I mean, you know, we, we highlighted the summer supper series.
1: I can't, you're saying summer.
0: <laughs> Sunday supper series. Uh, very much not summer. It, snow, it snowed yesterday. Um, but pizza, pasta, there's all kinds of good stuff at Via Farina. You should get down there. You should give it a chance and try it. John, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the episode today and and talking about Villafrina, talking about your career. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. As always, Omaha, thanks for eating with us.